Isad Radio 89.7 FM. This is Arts Monday Simpoesi streaming to you from the Gadigal land of the Eora Nation. My name is Ira and I'm joined in the studio by Sofia and Daba, one of the four choreographers of this year's Sydney Dance Company's new breed program, currently showing at Carriageworks. Sophia's work is titled The Veil of Separation and we will learn all about it in the next few minutes as we dive into the conversation about the making of this work. Good morning, Sophia, and thank you for coming and joining us. Good morning. Really happy to be here. How has your morning been so far and what are your mornings usually like? Are you a morning kind of person or do you prefer nighttime and the darkness of the night? <laughs> Such a good question. Um, today we actually had a moment to go to the beach, so it was so beautiful. We were down at Bondi with my partner, and the weather is stunning today, but normally, no, I am not a morning person. Normally it takes me a little bit, and my time to shine is really in the evening, night time. Yeah. As we briefly mentioned, the name of your work that you have made for the new breed is called The Veil of Separation. It's currently showing at the Carriage Works, and it is in parts or mostly inspired by the horizon, by the line where the earth meets the sky and where the water meets the sand. Can you speak a bit about the moment when the idea to make this work emerged to you? Yeah, so... You're right, like the initial inspiration and the initial idea really did stem from nature. So around Easter time I moved to the central coast to a really small, beautiful town called Patonga. And it's really, it's engulfed in nature. There's not much there. There's a few houses. There's just one pub. There's no shop, nothing. And you have to drive a few minutes through National Park to even get there. And... It's just gorgeous. You know, you wake up every day and there's the ocean and then also the horizon. And I really started to get kind of enamored by the interceptions that happen in landscape. So the trees meeting the sky, the sea meeting the sky, or the water meeting the sand. And it, I'm a very kind of image-based person I get very inspired by images so that was definitely the beginning mm. and then I started to look at different kinds of seams and splits and interceptions within the body um, yeah within the body and within life as well mm. so another image that I was really fascinated by is like couples in an embrace and mm. the skin being the only thing that separates them from each other and wanting to be deeply connected mm. and then also within the body there's the two hemispheres of the brain mm. that kind of act as this beautiful meeting point of symmetry mm. um, yeah it kind of just goes on and on but nature was definitely the initial inspiration and then it got just kind of broke off into all these other beautiful images within us and within the world mm. And where do you usually draw your inspirations from? Is it usually nature or something else? And when within the day do you feel most inspired? We spoke about evenings or mornings, but is there a time of day where you feel that it's more likely that the idea might emerge, that you're at that peak of your cre creative inspiration? Yeah, that's two really good questions. So the first one... Um, this time I was inspired by nature, but it's not always. Actually, I'm fascinated by humans and the way that we interact with the world. And I have this quest to understand um, 
us as a human race. And so a lot of the time my inspiration comes from more of a like a psychology background. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been really interested in the work of Carl Jung, mm-hmm. um, who's a really famous psychoanalyst that framed the human psyche and human experiences in such an interesting way. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually his it's a bit of a rabbit hole one can go down, but um, his theories around archetypes yeah. and um, all of these kind of basic instinctual ways of operating have been a huge inspiration for me in making dance. Mm. So normally that's where I start from. It and did Jung in any way inform this work or something about him? Yeah, it did in a, in a small way. So the New Breed framework is really unique and amazing but it is only two weeks in the studio with the dancers to create a 20-minute work so I had wanted to take in all of this research about archetypes um, and we did address it in a small extent but it mainly pops in in the final half of the work um, where each of the dancers I mean I don't want to give too much away but each of the dancers kind of grow into their own individual characters and the way that we approach this was going through meditations introducing them to the wide variety of archetypes that have been kind of laid out by Mm -hmm. Carl Jung and asking or inviting them to to absorb an archetype whichever one came naturally to them Mm -hmm. and that served the basis of this character development for the final section Mm. yeah but before that no yeah and I interrupted the other part of the question which is when do inspirations tend to come is it morning or evening or somewhere in between yeah it's usually not necessarily um, by the time of day but certain things that happen to me can be very inspiring and also movies Mm -hmm. so if I see a movie that's really visually stimulating I then have like a whole trail off of ideas or if I hear a piece of music then I can actually imagine like a whole dance happening in time with the music Mm -hmm. yeah and given that you have mentioned psychoanalysis and Jung is that something that you studied at some point in your life Yeah, not really. It's literally uh, just like a personal interest and it is served as a really amazing tool for me to interact with life just as a human, not necessarily anything to do with dance. Um, And, you know, I'm really at the emerging stage of my choreographic path. Mm -hmm. So um, it's been a recent choice to use the work of Carl Jung um, and to use psychoanalysis to engage with dance. Um, But before that, I was really just focused on getting as much experience as a dancer and a performer as possible Mm -hmm. uh, across a wide variety of styles and industries and avenues. So, yeah, I mean, I was always inspired to dance from a very young age and I chose contemporary dance shortly after finishing high school after having a little bit of experience in jazz and hip-hop and acting uh, and ballet and I chose contemporary dance it kind of felt like the broadest Mm. style of them all and then from there became an independent dancer in Sydney and then went to Europe and continued that journey Mm -hmm. yeah but in terms of choreography it didn't really um, kick off until more recent years and I think COVID 
also was a huge kind of push to start really looking into choreography and really looking into what inspires me. Mm. So uh, what about COVID pushed you into choreography? Wow, that is such a good question. I think I have been very lucky as a dancer to have had opportunities presented to me from the outside world. And when COVID happened, that stopped. The industry shut down. There was nobody knocking on my door or there were no opportunities for me to grasp. The same across the board for everybody. It's I wasn't special in that. Um, well, it gave me a lot of time to sit with myself and dream ideas up. Mm. And also, yeah, a strong sense of self-empowerment actually came from that time it sounds positive I think in the beginning that was very daunting yeah. and very dark but I think out of that time I was like okay I have a lot more to offer actually and mm. with all that quietness and all that space it's really bubbled to the surface mm. I'm having two questions in my mind and I don't know which one to to go with but one is I guess this maybe then during COVID because the external opportunities were not coming to you, you were creating your own opportunities. Is, is that what partly you're expressing? Yeah, and not opportunities in, sen in the sense of going out and performing. or um, It was more like an inward journey. Mm -hmm. It was really just using that space and time to reconnect with myself and just hearing what was there because mm -hmm. the outside noise was a lot dimmer. Yeah. yeah, which was my other question uh, and I'm personally very interested in this moment of pause in creative practice which is moment where as you say we have time to sit to reflect to dream new possibilities and I feel that this moment of pause is an integral part of creative practice where actually most of the work happens but it's neglected and not seen it's invisible part mm -hmm. and then once you pass this journey you go into the studio and the work is almost finished by that point because the whole creative bubbling of the work has happened in this moment of invisible work yeah that's really awesome that you can articulate that I feel I connect with that a lot even the process leading up to New Breed, um, the rehearsal director, Richard Chilly, had had early conversations with me in Easter and we started rehearsing in November. During that time, I was busy doing things, but it gave me a lot of time before this like incubator of two weeks to really sit and marinate in an idea. And just like you say, the work almost felt created before I stepped into the space because I had had a lot of time and space to sit with it. Mm. And how early on did you know which six dancers you will be working with? Because their bodies would in some way inform what you could dream. Yeah. So we started those conversations early on, uh, but the company was going through a lot of changes and shifts in... Um, in the number of dancers that were performing and so we went back and forth a little bit so we had a initial six like I had a request for an initial six dancers and then it kind of shifted and changed but it's one of those things where it ended up being exactly as it should have been mm -hmm. yeah I was really happy about that 
And was the number six uh, for a particular reason? Is that connected somehow to Jung and stereotypes, or, or not stereotypes, archetypes, which maybe in some ways yeah. is similar, isn't it? Uh, uh, but or were you ever considering uh, maybe having less or more? Yeah, is there is six something that yeah. called significance? Well, I'm really interested in this idea of a split and the idea of um, liminal space between sides. So, mm -hmm. and with all the imagery that I was exploring, symmetry was a huge part of it too. Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. having an even number was very important. And I had chosen to use this massive set piece made out of fabric. So I needed enough dancers to be able to manipulate that fabric mm -hmm. as well as carry forth the narrative of the dance. Four felt too less and eight felt too overwhelming in two weeks. I was like, oh, uh, six is the midway point. Yeah. Just before you spoke a bit about the process uh, where you gave them a certain archetype to embody the character in some way and you worked with meditation, is there anything else about the rehearsal process that was specific to this work that maybe you didn't work in that way before? Yeah, absolutely. So the fact that we had two weeks really dictated what we could and couldn't explore. So the meditation practice into exploring archetypes is something that I would love to normally do every day. Mm -hmm. But there was really only two opportunities for us to work this way. Um, because we're working with the set and the set also needs its own time to learn how to dance with it and... Yeah, and you're only working within two weeks, then you have the music being composed, so you need to work in a way where you solidify your structure early on so that it can marry with the music. All of these things meant that my explorations weren't as deep as I would normally go. Mm -hmm. um, but it was part of the challenge that I actually liked. I was like, this is it. This is the time. There's nothing I can do about that. And this is the approach. We're going to try and touch mm -hmm. on everything that I can possibly do. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time is have a really keen eye on what's working and what's not so that I can make decisions and move through to mm -hmm. get to the end. Mm. Yeah. And is it possible to reveal what those six archetypes that you worked with were? Oh, that's a good question too because what we did was... I specifically asked the dancers not to reveal them to me. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we went through the meditations and I invited them to engage with particular colors, particular archetypes and marry them together in their own individual journeys. And then we worked collab collaboratively. So the dancers would offer up material when I would set the tasks that really narrowed in all of those characters and archetypes and I worked with the feeling and the dance and the expression that they were giving up mm -hmm. but never did I address the specific archetype and the reason for that was because if I couldn't feel resonate or see something to latch onto on the outside then the audience wouldn't Yes. Yeah. So is there a likelihood that 
couple of them chose the same archetype without you knowing? Did they communicate with each other what their choices they were? They didn't tell each other either. Okay. Yeah. And But you offered them the options. So it's, it was like, draw your card and don't tell me which one you're drawing. Is yeah. that how it works? Yeah. So is it still like possible to know which six you put into the box? Or is that something you don't want to reveal? Well, if yeah, if I reveal the full process, then actually just before opening night, we had a hug. We sat around in a circle and we revealed which each one was. Uh -huh. So yeah, that's a little secret letting it out. But ideally, I didn't want to know throughout the whole creative process. Yeah. yeah. And you're right. There are two dancers that actually chose the same. And it was fascinating because the way that the work took shape, these two dancers and their chosen archetypes found a very important thread that I wasn't I wasn't sure how that happened yeah it was almost a bit of a mystery a spooky kind of mystery mm. yeah Yonise Radio 89.7 FM. This is Arts Monday Simpoesis. And we are in conversation with choreographer Sofia Ndaba and we are talking about The Veil of Separation, which is her new choreographic work currently showing at Carriageworks as part of the Sydney Dance Company's New Breed program. Sofia, you mentioned the seventh dancer in this piece, which I would say is this whale that separates uh, the stage or is suspended in the stage. Do you think about it as a dancer of a sort? I love these questions. You know, they're so good because throughout the process, we realize that the fabric is definitely its own entity that has its own journey throughout the piece and that needs to be acknowledged and respected and so we gave the fabric a name oh. and their name is Cheryl and we would often joke when it was a tougher day in rehearsal to manage the movement of Cheryl we would say oh Cheryl's having a bad day <laughs> or um, when we got into the theatre and started working with the lights and instantly Cheryl looks like a magnificent gift from God and we all say oh gosh she didn't have to work hard for it did she old Cheryl um, so and Cheryl needed her own rehearsals too. <laughs> so once we got into the theatre, um, I couldn't just do notes for the dancers. We actually had to set aside time to work out the fabric movements, um, preset everything and give Cheryl what she needed to do her show. Yeah. And how did uh, the dancers interact with Cheryl? What were some of the choreographic moments or shapes that they were creating with this piece of fabric with that head entity of its own? Yeah, well, uh, the piece is kind of approached in three sections there really is like a beginning a middle and an end in the beginning we interact with cheryl through shadow play mm -hmm. so cheryl isn't touched there's young again yeah yeah exactly <laughs> yeah it's great that you could observe that um yeah so we work with shadow play so we don't touch the fabric but we're really using backlight and mystery mm-hmm and then in the second section, the dancers start to manipulate the fabric, but the fabric is really um, seen as a very giant, daunting, um, colossal kind of thing in the space that also starts to open up the space, split the space and split the dancers. It's almost like the gates of mm -hmm. heaven are opening or mm -hmm. we're being let into Cheryl's world. And then the final section is where the dancers somehow discover 
that through their individuality they can manipulate this fabric and use it as a way to reconnect with each other. Mm. Yeah, like they remaster the fabric. Mm. Now that you mentioned these three sections, they are very obvious in music as well, I felt. And there was something in it that almost made me think about the the day, the, the time of the day, emergence of the morning, dawn, and then going into the peak of the day and then back to the silence of the evening. Is that mm. something that you are looking at, this like sense of you know rising of the sun and setting of the sun or anything like that yeah not necessarily like there's definitely a journey that unfolds it's not literally connected to the rise and fall of the sun i don't think that the piece finishes um with a resolve like that Mm -hmm. It, it finishes on a very uh vibrational and vibrant level which kind of gets intercepted and cut off Mm -hmm. almost like a to be continued Mm -hmm. yeah definitely the beginning there's something very moody happening Mm -hmm. in the space it's slightly almost extraterrestrial but something that happens in the darkness Mm -hmm. and emerges out of that so I think Mm -hmm. connecting to what you're saying in that sense yes but the way the piece resolves not so much Mm -hmm. yeah And speaking about this darkness, um, I know that you were saying in some other interview how this idea that we are separate rather than being interconnected is something that is an illusion and that is quite common to us to think that everything is separate. But then uh, you were mentioning these YouTube videos about the near-death experiences, how very um, often or a common um, experience is that people realize that everything is one oneness interconnected yeah. when they come close to this end of life um i don't know why i was saying that <laughs> i lost my thread but uh, yeah it's still something really interesting to touch on i yeah i do have a tendency to go down youtube rabbit holes yeah if i can admit that and there's something about the near-death experiences that people report on that i find fascinating like so fascinating um and you know i'm not commenting on whether it's true or not it's just that this is this is information and data that a lot of people are reporting back on that we should look at Mm -hmm. and um yeah and when people do talk about it there is this common thread that we all come from the one source mm-hmm. and that we live this life of separation but we all return back to this one source and that all of our thoughts and our feelings are vibrations that affect the field that we all exist within mm-hmm. and um yeah and the, you know in near-death experiences people also talk a little bit about reincarnation and that you know in one life you may experience a mother-child relationship but in another lifetime maybe you were connected to that soul but the roles were reversed Um, and so I'm really interested in expressing and exploring the interconnectedness Mm. um, that is so well articulated from people who have had these experiences And yeah, that's why I was uh, making this point because you spoke about darkness. So this illusion is a dark space from which 
we are emerging in your piece that starts from that confusion of darkness into the emergence towards interconnectedness, I suppose. Yeah, yes, yes, very much so. And we uh, mentioned music very briefly, uh, but it is obviously an integral part of the piece. Um, Did you mention that you worked with the music already as you were choreographing or it was made after or was it kind of back and forth that it was being made while you were still in the process of choreographing the work? Yeah, so this time because of this really unique time frame I had made a lot of choices about how I wanted to approach the process Mm -hmm. and a lot of that was planning far in advance. Mm -hmm. So the idea of having three sections I knew that from very early on that's how I wanted to approach and I told that to the composers, um, Jack Glass and Tim Eyre, uh, who combined together to make the music project called Blue Pools. And they've been amazing to work with. So incredible. And so they really were able to be flexible and run with me on that. They came up with a few different ideas from the initial research that I gave them. And I said to them, leading into that two-week rehearsal, it would be so great if we could have the music 80 to 90% set. Mm -hmm. So we had timings for each section, and that come the rehearsal time, all we had to really do was find the thread Mm -hmm. between the sections and find motifs and themes Mm -hmm. to kind of bring out through the whole piece. And so that's what we did. Mm. So that would be quite helpful to have music already kind of informing the movements because sometimes dancers work in reverse. They create movements first and then the music comes to accompany them, which might be a bit harder way to do because, or or I don't know, what what is your experience with that? How do, oh, I mean, sounds like you prefer working with having music already done. Before yeah. yeah, I think it provides some kind of structure and some kind of like scaffolding Mm -hmm. for me to then grow into yeah and I really appreciate that especially when we don't have lots of time to work with and also getting the mood right is really important to me so I may not know the dance steps I may not know the specifics but I definitely know the feeling Mm. and the mood that I connect to that I want to share and so I know that on a dance level but I can also hear that on a music level and and working with Tim and Jack to get there was an incredible process because I felt like they could hear me Mm. with my requests and also influence me with their sense of feeling and interpretation of the idea. Well, let's have a bit of a listen of this uh, soundtrack for Sofia and Daba's dance work called The Veil of Separation, which is currently showing at Carriage Works as part of the Sydney Dance Company's New Breed program. You're on ESA Radio 89.7 FM, and this is Arts Monday Sympoesis. We will now hear a bit of a track from Blue Pools. Thank <laughs> you. 
seeing images while you're watching uh, while you're listening to this are you imagining your dancers yeah yeah I'm thinking about what part of the work they're up to and that it's the final section of the work so yeah that's and it's my favorite yeah by far especially with what the music is giving and bringing there mm. I love it and is the work tightly choreographed or are there any elements of improvisation where dancers can choose what they are doing it's pretty choreographed yeah I've worked with improvisation a lot leading up to us performing and there are some sections that I wanted to keep open but just the nature of what we're trying to achieve in that space it was a smarter decision to have everything set mm -hmm. yeah mm. and how did you come uh, to know the blue pools this uh, music duo electronic duo that you worked with on the soundtrack yeah so blue pools is tim air and jack glass and tim air i met many years ago um he is the partner of one of my best friends meg mac and they're both you know veteran musicians and um I love Tim's music. He actually works across so many areas of music. It's almost hilarious. He's an incredible piano player at the same time as um, works with dance music, electronic music, just across the whole field. And he recently started this collaboration, Blue Pools, with a friend of his, Jack Glass. And that happened earlier in the year. And then at the gig of Meg Mac, I met them both and, um, yeah, they told me what they were up to and I just had it in the back of my mind now. I was like, okay, mm. this is going to be something I can tell is going to be great for dance. They were talking about this collaboration being more um, experimental, using more atmospheric, more filmic styles of music um, and that's classically more suited to dance or mm. contemporary dance mm. at least. Now you're coming back to film. What kind of films are you drawn to? What do you like watching? Ah, oh, 
Great question. I love... Well, I've always loved really epic films. So I do love like big blockbusters and big superhero movies, but the ones that I've always done with a slight twist, like um, The Dark Knight, for example, Batman movie was, you know, they are these kind of like commercial straight edge blockbuster movies, but there's some kind of twist to them that's more Mm. artful that I love. Um, I'm inspired by Inception. That was huge for me, that movie. Um, more recently, 3,000 Years of Longing. It's got Idris Elba and Tilda Swinton. Mm. I recommend anyone watching that. Then when it comes to this work, actually, there's a horror film called Nope, mm-hmm. um, which the storyline I actually didn't connect to so much and I don't really understand, but it's a horror film where the, the evil force is actually the most elegant beautiful extraterrestrial floating thing in the sky Mm. and that served as a huge inspiration for how we looked at the fabric and Mm. what we ordained Cheryl in inverted commas with Mm. yeah speaking about this fabric uh it is actually quite light in color from what I saw on the images it's almost skin-like color such as the costumes as well. Yeah. Was there a particular reason you chose this hue over anything else? Like, I, I guess because you speak about horizon, I was thinking it would be blue or something, but then you went for this muted color. Yeah. I think that this fabric really holds the symbol of skin as the thing that is the separator mm-hmm. between bodies. And so I've had that in the back of my mind when looking at the the overall aesthetic of the work including costume and set and how to tie uh, no pun intended but to tie it all together Mm. yeah Mm. you're on ISA Radio 89.7 FM this is Arts Monday Sympoesis and we are in conversation with choreographer Sophia Ndaba talking about her new choreographic piece The Veil of Separation currently showing at Carriageworks as part of Sydney Dance Company's New Breed Programme Sophia, when you're developing works, do you work with a dramaturg, somebody uh, who comes as an outside eye and an outside ear with whom you can share ideas and, you know, whilst they're still landing, while you're still unsure and bounce off some ideas? Yeah, to be honest, not so much and not yet, but it's definitely something I think I need in my practice that I would love to pursue. Mm like I said earlier, I'm really at the emerging stage of my choreographing, choreographic practice. So when I was living in Berlin, I created a solo there, which was a really transformative time, um, but I didn't have a dramaturg. And also in this process, um, I, I didn't really have an official dramaturg, although the rehearsal director, Richard Chili served as a very um, supportive and useful outside eye. Mm. Um, I'm working a lot with storyline, with character interaction and journey. So I Mm. think I absolutely need a dramaturg. I think Mm. it's absolutely clear and I look forward to being able to incorporate that in the future. Mm. And now uh, mentioning the storyline, do you literally write the story down? Are you somebody who has notepads with you in your bag all the time and jot ideas? So how does that methodology work? Yeah, so 
I do, especially for this work. I have a huge notepad and I'm furiously writing in it every single day, um, not only the schedule of the day but what I want to explore and then also articulating in words what that journey is. Mm. And it's not, it's not very literal. It's quite poetic. Mm-hmm. Um, the way I kind of describe what the journey is yeah, it kind of goes from the micro to the macro and, and threads all the ideas that I've been exploring plus drawing out and um, articulating what the individual journey is of each dancer. Mm. Yeah. And do you ask your dancers to write, to reflect in the process? And Not to write, but definitely verbally feedback. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really important to me that as much as possible, like the inner journey is reflected in the outer journey and, and vice versa. And so in the earlier explorations, I would always gather us back together after a, an improvisation and ask how that experience was or um, any feedback from the inside, um, what journeys, what connections did the dancers experience. Mm. Yeah. And do you feel the need for such feedback from the audience as well? Do you feel that having something like Q&A with the audience after the show would be helpful? Yeah. I mean, the New Breed program doesn't incorporate that so far. But I think there is something in me that is curious to know what the audience is resonating with or not resonating with. I think that's really informative and I would love that, yeah. There's been some really brave audience members that can come up to me after the show and share what they connected with. Um, and I've been saying this yesterday just in conversation to someone that it's great, but it's also we're in such a supportive environment after these shows that people are really only willing to share the positive or share, um, yeah, to lift you up. And so mm-hmm. you're not getting the full spectrum of feedback that you could get. Mm. I'm curious to hear if some things didn't work so well. Mm. Yeah. So if you would like to see the show and then give feedback to Sophia and Daba after it, uh, you can head to Carriageworks, which is where her current work, The Veil of Separation, is showing. And it's showing as part of the Sydney Dance Company's new breed program. I believe it's uh, going until 17th of December. And uh, to find out more and to book your tickets, you can go to sydneydancecompany.com. Sophia, thank you so much for coming and sharing the bits and pieces of the work with us today. My pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Mm -hmm.